know that you're allowed to be there just as much as the boys are. We're all allowed to be part of this. We're all allowed to have the same interests. And you having that interest doesn't mean that they get to sexualize you. It doesn't mean that you aren't as intelligent. Even if you don't know the names of the parts or the names of the tools, it doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It means you just haven't learned them yet. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Trish Horseman is in the driver's seat today. She grew up in her dad's garage and bike shop. She's an artist by trade and has combined her trade with her passion for mechanical things. For over a decade, she was the marketing and graphic designer for Baker Drivetrain. During that time, she fell into doing art and writing for Throttle Gals magazine. Now let's listen to Trisha's journey to becoming a full-time tattoo artist and shop owner. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Trish Hortzman in the hot seat today. How are you doing this evening, Trish? Because it is evening out. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm great. Thanks for asking. You know, it didn't occur to me that you live so close to me. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? I had no clue. For whatever reason, you and I thought we were on separate sides of the country. (laughs) Absolutely. I was like, oh, she's got to be in like California or something. No, and, and you're in Michigan. I'm in Ohio. So literally in each other's backyards. And uh, that was kind of a pleasant surprise. But we have been kind of back and forth, crazy to think, but almost a year now trying to like connect and life just happens. So I am super excited that we were able to connect. And what drew me to you and the work that your business partner does is your magazine. Do you want to share a little bit about your guys' magazine? Yeah, definitely. Um, So we run Throttle Gals magazine. It was kind of born, definitely uh, Donnie, my partner in crime, um, it was her brainchild initially. Uh, She came to me, she was working for another motorcycle industry magazine, and I was doing marketing and art for an aftermarket company in the bike industry. And she came and was like, you know what, I think we have a lot in common. I've got this idea. What about a magazine for women? And 
we sat one day in my office at that job and just, it blossomed quickly. Um, I think within a few hours we had it named and we had our first issue out within just a matter of a month or so in print, ready to roll. Um, it's gone through a few inceptions over the years. We went, you know, at one point to digest format instead of a full page format. We've been able to uh, have distribution in other countries. We have uh, a spinoff, Throttle Gals Magazine Australia. So we ship half of what we print to Australia for distribution. And, you know, there's been ups and downs in the road, but we've, we've made it 10 years now with this project. And, um, and it, you know, it's definitely a labor of love for sure. And, and it's just about kind of like the same mission you're on, you know, promoting women in this industry in, in bikes, uh, motorcycles, cars, you know, anything with an engine, anything that goes. And also the idea of making women not afraid to do things. We always use hashtags on our posts online, things like girls can weld to, girls can race to, girls can wrench to, because oftentimes these are things that as young people, we are not talked out of, but almost like intimidated out of, and uh, we shouldn't be. So it's our mission to sort of spread that education, awareness, and empowerment. You know, that's kind of the whole mission behind it. Absolutely. And you guys did a special edition for Jesse Combs as well. And the work that you ladies did was first class around that. Thank so you. I tip my hat to, to both of you and I promoted it on my social media pages. And I love what you ladies are doing. There, there's this notion of competition between women, right. right? Where it seems like society tries to pit women against each other. And you see this everywhere. Like you see it in like pop stars, actresses, you name it. And majority of the time, it's not the women doing it. No. It's outside people wanting to try to stir up shit that doesn't exist. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've always been of the thing where, hey, let's, let's help each other out. We have enough challenges having our voices heard, why mute each other's voices? Yeah. Find what lights our souls on fire and let's help each other out and cross-promote each other. That's the way to go. When I see that stuff, I will reach out to women and say, how can I help? Period. That's where it starts and stops and it's as simple as that for me. Yeah. And I love what you ladies are doing over there. So however I can help, I'm going to do it. I couldn't agree more. I think it's interesting because as someone who grew up, my dad was always really open to me being in the garage with him. My brother wasn't really interested in, in doing that sort of thing. And and so I was always out there like wanting to learn how to work on stuff and particularly interested in the motorcycle side of it. But, you know, we always had old cars. We grew up poor. So it was always like, let's tinker in the driveway on our own stuff. And so from an early age, I was taken under his wing and shown that like, yeah, it was okay that I was getting dirty and crawling on around and underneath things. And and honestly, it gave me this idea, though, growing up where it was like, if you're not girly, you're a tomboy, you're into boy things, that other girls aren't going to like you or that you can't get along with other girls because because women aren't supposed to be into that. You know, you don't you get along better with the guys. And I, and I got really tired of hearing that, like, oh, I'm supposed to be hanging out with the guys because I enjoy doing mechanical things. In reality, there's a boatload of women in this world who are into the same shit we're into and, mm-hmm. and honestly need to have, need to have that, that 
soapbox to stand on and have that open door for a place to come where it's safe and, and we can work a sisterhood. And support each other. Absolutely. A tribe, a sisterhood. Yeah, for you sure. Know, and that includes, for me, it's something that's really important is that, you know, in the past, Donnie and I, we kind of open up to whoever wants to write for us. So there's a lot of contributors. It's definitely labor love. Like we don't, pay anyone. We don't pay ourselves. Uh, the money that comes into Throttle Gals goes right back into us printing the magazine and trying to get more issues on people's doorsteps, you know? And I think that's an important distinction is that a lot of publications are digital. Yes. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something about having the magazine in your yeah. hands and the colored pictures and print in your hands. Absolutely. That's pretty neat. You know, that was kind of one of our missions too, going to uh, to digest size. So it's, you know, it's half, half page size. We can pack it full of things. It's, you know, 60 some pages, every single issue. And it's very low on ads. We don't do advertising. Um, most of the ads that are in there are like, like my business, my personal daily business has an ad. You know, the guys from Single Finger always have an ad because they support us and let us tag along with them at a lot of in-person shows. So it's that kind of thing where it's not a lot of paying advertisers. We wanted to keep it a uh, really low percentage of ads. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the right size where it's easy to, to pick up a couple issues and stuff them in your backpack, stick them in your yeah. pocket, stick them in your, your purse, whatever. Carry them along and read them where you go. And, and I personally love that, like, I'm tactile. Uh, it's, I am uh, too. You know, it's that, I don't know what, what, what it is there. Maybe I'm on the spectrum or something, but I just, it, for me, it's like, I, I love just feeling it and being able to flip pages. I like the smell of the newsprint. I like the, yes. you know, just all of it. So we, we're kinder and soul sister. I feel the <laughs> same way. I'm very tactile as well. And yeah. when I saw that, I saw, oh, magazine. Now I assume it's all digital. And when I saw some of your pictures, what really popped up was the Jesse Combs issues that you guys did. Yeah. And it was the pictures of the printed magazines in the boxes. And I'm like, oh my God, like printed. Yay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's the good stuff right there. Yeah. I feel like that was a milestone issue for me um, because it is our 10th year doing Throttle Gals. We, because of COVID, missed having a 10th anniversary party. Uh, it was canceled in Michigan. We went into to quarantine during that time period. We've screw COVID. Seriously, man, it's it's man. really put a, you know Donnie and I in the last four years have gone through major deaths in both of our families. She went through an, a house fire where her house burnt to the ground, and she's rebuilt it. I mean, it, we've gone through an awful lot, and then for COVID to be like the icing on the cake is just like oh come on, <laughs> give us a right. break. Um, but the first time I met Jesse was uh, early on in Throttle Gals. We went to the SEMA show in Vegas. And um, do you know what year? Just to, just to put it in perspective for folks, two thousand. I don't think I was in my new building yet, so I would say somewhere maybe like two thousand ten, eleven. So very early on in Throttle early, Gals. Early on, we were just a couple of years old, and we were really um, eager to to get the idea of this magazine in other women's hands and to interview as many people as we could. And we actually, uh, right after that, we interviewed Jesse and did, she actually, we have two issues on her out one from years ago that we republished, uh, after her passing and then this new one. But when we first met her, we went to, it was, uh, I'm trying to think of exactly what it was called, but it was something like, 
um, like a women's meet and greet friend making at SEMA. At SEMA, the I know oh, I always uh, women's. Uh, there's there's so many. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yes. Like, we all sat around and drank coffee and like got to shake hands. SBN or something like that. Something like I, that, yeah. And I and I was just like, you know, I walked up and I, I thought, God, she's she's like this this major person in the car industry and the bike industry and mechanics and welding and like she's got her fingers in all these places and she's been on TV and she's going to be like like who are you, peon? Get out of here! And instead, she was incredibly warm and inviting and she stood and talked to Donnie and I for so long. She and she like was just interested in what we were doing and so kind and wonderful. And and from there on, it just blossomed a friendship where we could shoot her emails about things. And she was writing us back with ideas and advice and thoughts. And so losing her was a big hit to, to us and what we all are for here, you know, for like you and I and, and Donnie and other women like us. We've got a handful of other chicks who help out with Throttle Gals who are really important Um they play important roles, you know, in what we do. And uh, I think all of us were affected, you know, by her by her passing because it, she really did publicly out in the eyes of the, the quote unquote real world. She definitely um, made it more mainstream that women could be doing what we do. And I don't think there was many people before her who did that. So, I, yeah, that specific magazine, that issue was powerful. It was it made us all reach out. We There was a lot of tears. And the foundation, we ended up donating some money to her foundation afterward. And, you know, I, I, I still think it's really important for people to know she had a Teresa Contreras, who is keeping up the real deal stuff is really, really important. She's she's carrying on like like Jesse's, uh, you know, her half of the torch, so to speak. <laughs> Teresa's just doing it all. And um, I think she's going to change change lives with what she's up to, you know. I couldn't agree more with you, Trish. I had the opportunity to interview interview Teresa. Man, I, it's been like a time warp. I can't, I can't even begin to guess how long ago. Six months? Maybe it's been a year? I don't know. This this last 12 months has been an absolute blur. Blur, <laughs> right? Being, it's oh, it's really weird. But um, one of the most down-to-earth people in exactly what you described has been my experience with all these women in the industry. I mean, and it goes back to this notion of us at each other, us meaning women at each other's throats and stuff. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Anywhere you go, there's pettiness, but that isn't a gender thing. No, that's an individual person thing. It is. And I think that that's ingrained in us from the time we're little kids to be catty like that and be judgy of other women based on whatever it is from an early age, we, we might hear, you know, our moms dealing with, you know, the way they look and the way other people look, or did you hear what, how she did this or that as a mother or, you know, just all of that. It's like, I I think it gets stuck in the back of our head that, that we're supposed to be that way instead of building that sisterhood that you talked about, you know? And that's what it's about. And that's how we go to the next level. Yeah. If, if we want as women to go to the next level, we each have our own superpowers. We each have our areas of expertise and there's room for all of us. And we need more of us. Yeah, we do. We really do. (laughs) We need more magazines with features. We need more female focused podcasts. 
I don't want to be the only one. And there, there's a couple that have popped up over the last year. And I've actually had some people reach out to me like, hey, did you see this podcast? It's a, awesome. It's all female podcasts. I'm like, sweet. Tell me about them. I want to promote them. Yeah. And then tell people about them to go listen to them too. Yeah. We each have our own specialties and it's fine. There's room for all of us. There's plenty of spotlight to share. Yeah, absolutely. Donnie and I, a couple years ago, part of our mission we decided was was more about education than anything because we said, you know, I always say like poison the well. And as someone who, as a youngster, like school was always kind of hard for me. I, you know, now being a, a grown up and having a good therapist, I've discovered some of the reasons why. Um, but, but, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I, I feel you, sister. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> I wasn't diagnosed with uh, ADHD until I was 40 years old. So 40 years old, ADHD. Yeah, exactly the same. I started with a new therapist during quarantine. And, and that was one of the first things she said. She's like, have you ever been told that, you know, you, you probably, you know, have issues with this after one session with her. She's like, you know, you have ADHD. I, I certainly think that you probably are spectrum a little bit. And I'm like, that's cool. I dig it. It makes sense. It all makes sense now. I, I wish I would have known when I was younger, to be Me honest. Too. It would have lent some coping techniques, I'm sure. Um, yes. And that was the hard part because growing up all 12 years in school and even into college, I dealt with, you know, being the target of some bullies and not really having a lot of friends, being very shy and afraid, even though I was doing really awesome things. Like I look back, I'm like, I was a really fucking cool kid. I'm sorry. Can I say that? Okay. Yeah. It's your <laughs> podcast. Um, I don't know how, how you're this is yours, Trish. Um, <laughs> Are you okay if your audience hears cussing? I'm cool with it. I don't care. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I was an awesome kid. I had, you know, I had artistic abilities and, and mechanical abilities. And I was into like music and, and things that were like, my parents would always say, you know, we think you were, you were born a couple generations too late. And, and I think that part of that's true because I am that sort of tactile person on a mission yeah. trying to fix things that get in front of me. And, um, and I, and it all makes sense now as a grown up. So with that in mind, I, I almost want to like poison the well of the, the younger generations and say, okay, we need to get in there early. And don't teach women. I mean, yes, teach women that it's okay to like what we like, but teach girls yes. that it's cool to like what we like. And and when I say it's to me, it's kind of important being a, a good advocate and being an ally. It's really important to know that like when I say women and girls, you know, like we include in Throttle Girls, we include trans women. Yeah, um, that's super important to me. We include all everyone. We actually have a, a contributor for a while. She hasn't written anything in a little bit, but who is a trans woman. And that's super important to us that we open the doors to everybody. We're all included. It's about feeling like a woman. Absolutely. 100%. And, and Trisha, I'm glad you brought that up because it's actually going to be a two or three part series, but it's really great content. The only man that I probably will ever have on Femcanic Garage podcast, a transgender man. Oh, really? And he shares his journey transitioning while in the automotive industry from female to male. And wow. when I asked him to consider this, he knew that I exclusively feature women. Uh, I was very clear in wanting to express that by me asking you to be on here, my hopes are that you don't view this as me not recognizing you as the man that you are. But I think your story could speak to 
part of my audience where maybe they're considering that, or maybe they know someone. Um, and to be able to share that, I also want to get a trans woman. I haven't found one though, because after talking to Dorian, uh, that's the transgender man that, uh, is going to be featured. I realized that they don't want to be found oftentimes. The whole goal is to blend in, right? They don't want to stick out. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, it takes a different kind of bravery, to, to be open and Absolutely. share that part of their experience. And I applaud it. I think it's really cool because, you know, it is it is stepping into a different realm. And, and unfortunately, we do live in a world where for decades and generations we've had yeah. gender roles. And I think the work that, that we are doing with Throttle Gals and the work that you're doing, it's like thumbing your nose in the face of, of those gender roles. It's like saying, you know Wait, what? Wait, hold up. Yeah, thumbing can, your nose. Oh, <laughs> Like, like being, I've never know, heard of that. I'm like, okay, clearly she clearly doesn't mean picking her nose because that's not very. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like saying, you know, like saying, like, hey, I can, I can wrench on my car, but I can also hop in the house and take care of my kids. I can do the laundry, or I can ride my motorcycle. I can, I can do all yeah. of these things. It doesn't matter what my my gender is. It doesn't matter what my identity is. None of that matters. What matters is that I'm doing what I love to do, and. You know, I tell a lot of women in the classes that we've taught um, or even little kids in the in the kids classes we've taught. It's OK if you're not into this. Just give it a try. See what you think. It's OK if you don't know the name of the tools. It's OK if you don't know the parts. Uh, you don't you don't have to be a know it all. You don't have to puff mm-hmm. your chest out to anybody. No one's trying to prove anything here. And it's really interesting, though, how quickly young people pick up on what we are teaching and run with it. A great example is uh, a couple years ago, Donnie and I taught a class at a local library. And it was a, a week-long class where in the beginning of the class, we taught, and it, specifically, they pulled aside girls. So this was girls ages like, I think it was like mm-hmm. 8 to 14. And they, they pulled them aside and we said, okay, here's what we're doing. We're, we're going to teach you. We're going to walk you through from the beginning of the automobile to current. We're going to talk about things like horsepower combustion. Um, just the idea of like, what do these things mean? What is it? Well, how does the transmission work? How does gearing work? And each day we focused a little bit more and more on things. And we started it all off. It was very much so like STEAM focused. So like science, technology, engineering, oh, yeah. math, this, and art. The art good old math. STEM. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. And so the very first day we said, okay, we want you to draw your perfect car. And some of it was wild. Like there's little girls who are like, I want a shopping mall on wheels Uh, or like, I want a car with a hot tub in it. And by the end of the class, we're like, okay, now redesign your car using everything that you've learned this week. And it was wild how it was like, okay, if I want a, a shopping mall as a vehicle, it needs to have really good low gearing so that it can pull the weight. It needs to have, I mean, these kids were like, it's wild that they walked away within just a week's time understanding basic concepts. And and my hope is that then they go, you know what? Someday they have a car, something breaks on it. And they're like, hey, wait, I understand how this works. Let me investigate. Let me get my hands dirty and get in there, not be afraid to ask questions and, and try to figure it out. And that's the whole goal right there, because it might spark that one little thing that we found on our own early on, that might be the nudge they need. What I love about the example you just gave is that 
just by what you shared there made it clear to me the way in which you ladies taught the class had nothing to do with their dream car, meaning like they still wanted the mall on wheels, Yeah. right? Yeah. It's don't change your dream car. Let's just think through what you've learned that gets you closer to figuring out how you could actually do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, exactly. That's such a beautiful thing where it's like, keep your dream. Now I'm going to get you really thinking about what you would need to do to actually make that a possibility. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now I want to take a step back a little bit, Trish, because you mentioned it just in, in passing a moment ago. Uh, but around the bullion. Yeah. And I want to spend a little bit of time on that because I I know that there are some younger girls that listen to Femcanic Garage. I've interviewed an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. I've interviewed a teenage girl. So I have episodes where I can point parents to where they can listen to this stuff. But what I think people sometimes lose sight of is that bullying doesn't just happen in school. No. It doesn't. It can happen in your adult life at work. All the time. Right? And some of those skills or thick skin, fill in the blank, whatever it is, sometimes it's therapy. I have mine that I hang out with every week. (laughs) Right? How did you... Let me back up. Let me ask this slightly differently. What would you tell your younger self in how to handle the bullying, knowing what you know now? Boy, that's a heavy one, huh? Um, I definitely would have told myself kind of to not carry it so hard. It's interesting, you know, in high school, my biggest bully sent me home in tears every day. She, I mean, she had me in a really bad way. And, um, as an adult, she reached out and apologized. And I realized that she wasn't in a very good place in her life as an adult. And, um, and most people might be like, man, that's poetic justice, you know? And I'm like, nah, it's not. It's sad. I'm sad that she's not in a good place, but it also told me she had a lot that she was working through too. And probably her being a bully as a kid was probably, really heavily because she wasn't in a good place herself. She probably was not having a good time at home. Um, She probably had a lot of self-confidence issues too. And that was her way of trying to make herself feel better. And it doesn't make it okay at that point. At that moment, it didn't feel good. Um, Going back, I don't know that I, if knowing that, that I would feel any better about it. But I would probably tell myself as a younger person to just know that like, it's going to be okay. Just keep being yourself. Keep doing what you do. You'll find your people. I found my people, you know, and my mom always says like, you're not pizza. You don't have to please everyone. (laughs) And, um, and I kind of think that's true. Like not everybody's going to like you. Not everyone is going to think you're cool and that's okay. And and I would just tell them that if they said, you know, I think your hair is ugly or your clothes are dumb. I'd be like, that's okay. You don't have to like them. I do. And back then instead I would hang my head and go home and doubt myself and cry about it. And, and now as a grown up, I am definitely not that way. I wear what I want and I do what I want and I I look how I want and I really don't care what other people think. I think you said something, you said a lot of powerful things in there, but I think one of the key 
takeaways that is actionable because it, man, I want to scoop people up and say, you know, don't doubt yourself. Don't feel bad or don't do this or don't feel that. And we're going to feel it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes we know we shouldn't, right? But but we do. Yeah. We feel it. So what I tell people is you're going to feel it. Feel it intensely. Yeah. Just don't stay there. Yeah. One of the most powerful things that you said in that is you will find your people. You know, I personally have gone through some stuff recently and it doesn't matter where you're at or what you have accomplished or who you are. Every person experiences self-doubt. Yeah. And throughout your entire life, you're going to run into different bullies. You just are. Yeah. But when you find your people, what I have found is that the time you spend in that space of self-doubt shortens. It does. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's what I have found to be the most powerful thing. And that's why when you said that, it's like, yes. As much as we want to get out of our monkey mind, sometimes we just need that friend and our people to help us. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's always that battle between your heart that is feeling all of the feels about things, whether they're really good or really bad, it's it's the feels, right? And you have it in your mm-hmm. heart and it's the battle between that and your brain, which logically says, you know better. You know that you're not ugly. You know that you're not stupid. You know that you're not dumb. You know your clothes are cool. Whatever you, whatever it is that you're bullied about, um, your brain knows that, but your heart feels. And it, so it's okay. Just It's a, about finding a balance between those two things. And I think that's um, that's part of living a positive lifestyle. That's part of gaining self-confidence is, is learning how to balance those two things. Like you said, don't stay in it too long. Don't let your heart speak all the time. Let your brain speak sometimes too and let your heart feel it and then let your brain talk your way out of it. And, and I think that's, you know, the way that it is and, uh, or at least the way it should be to get you through it. So you spent your entire life wrenching, tinkering. Well, let me back up. You're a tattoo artist, correct? Yes. That's my, that's my day job. <laughs> that's your day job. <laughs> yeah. But kind of your passion in other aspects of your life, it seems like you've always kept wrenching, tinkering, things with engines in your life. Is that accurate? Yeah. Like I said, I. so when I was a little girl, my dad has always had some kind of old car kicking around that he's he's tinkered on, um, you know, an old Comet or he had a, I think it was a, like a, I don't remember the year, but he had a Galaxy. He still has, he has a, a Fairlane now. So he's like old Fords. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm seeing a theme. Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of funny. Donnie and I have like the, she's like the Chevy GM girl and I'm definitely the Ford girl. So mm-hmm. we like to poke at each other about that a lot. But yeah, and then also motorcycles. I had a motorcycle before I had a car when I turned 16 and it was old and it needed work. It was a 79 Honda, but I rode the heck out of that thing. And um, and then when I got my first car, it was, you know, definitely a pile of junk. And, <laughs> you know, it's those old cars like that, you just, you're always working on them. It's kind of like out of necessity, but then it becomes fun because Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a a puzzle solver. People are always like, Oh, do you play video games? I I don't really play video games, but I really enjoy puzzle stuff. Like throw me into like some, if you're going to do it, some Tetris or something where I'm like having to find how things work and fit together. 
that gets me going. And so as time went on, like, you know, my junkie car, first one, I blew the engine up. Second one, it was a Dodge Omni. It was a pile of junk. Um, and then I got, I had a 76 Ford Maverick and I like saved up my money, bought that car and drove it high school, college, um, through my twenties. And then basically the body just here, you'll get this cause you're in Ohio, but the body rusted off of the car. Get old salt on the roads. Yep. And so it got parked and we pulled the engine and it just wasn't fixable. Unibody cars can't be fixed. So, so it's gone. I have my old truck now, but long story short of it, it's like, it went from being something out of necessity because the cars that I had early on in my driving career were kind of junky to being fun because the car I chose as my daily driver was also fun to work on. And those older cars are way easier to work on. Stuff nowadays have like really complex ECMs in them and, you know, wiring harnesses and things. Whereas back then it was like, you could trace a wire from the front of the car all the way back, you know? Mm -hmm. So for sure. Now, just out of curiosity, there's something about car and motorcycle culture in tattoos. Yeah. There really seems to be a connection there. Big time. I had some tattoos, but people would talk about how it's addicting. And I never got that. I got my first tattoo when I was 19. It was actually a bet when I traveled cross country with one of my really good friends from college. She transferred to USC and uh, we drove cross country to California. Uh, she transferred from OSU, Ohio State, to USC. Wow. And it was awesome driving cross country at 19. But while we were there, her and one of her friends that was there bet me to get a tattoo. And the bet was if I did it, they would each throw in 50 bucks towards it. <laughs> so I'm like, done. <laughs> So it was, it's this like little cherub, you know, reaching up for the word dreams. Like it's on my hip. So it's not like you could see it if I was wearing like regular work clothes or whatever. And the, the guy who gave me the tattoo looked like James Dean, like an older James Dean. I'm not even kidding. It was on Sunset Boulevard. Like it was like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, <laughs> like, you know, you're 19 and you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> But I never like caught the bug until this year. And I think it has to do with finding the right tattoo artist. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a bond for sure. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that, that things are really tied together, like cars and motorcycles and tattoos. And actually what drew me into tattooing was in college, I studied art history as a minor. I majored in studio art, painting, uh, minored in art history and women's studies. And so kind of the history behind tattooing as an art form is what drew me into it and made me seek out an apprenticeship. And and then the rest is history, as they say. How long have you been a tattoo artist now? Since 2004. Wow. So a long time. And I, I ventured out and opened my own shop early on. You realize in three years you will have been doing it. <laughs> I mean, my point in bringing that up is to do it that long – means you're good. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I am proud of where I am. I've definitely moved along in, in my art form as a career and, and I like it. How would you describe your art? So I tend to sway toward like uh, what we call neo-traditional or traditional illustrative. Um, I'm really into like Art Nouveau styles. I do a lot with like floral and the female figure. 
And actually what drew me into that initially was a love for bomber art on airplanes. And so that definitely led me down a path and toward, you know, like pinups led to, you know, so on and so forth. All of this like links together. Have you looked at the um, Kate's work on, uh, oh God, is it asphalt custom paint or I'll have to go back and do you follow her at all? I don't. I should though. She sounds right up my alley. She's amazing. I interviewed her and she is just a great, great person and an amazing artist. I definitely will look She up. is certified rat uh rat fink artist. Oh, okay. You know the rat fink guys, they're really it's really awesome that that family is still carrying on uh in a fashion that like it's 100% family owned still. Mm-hmm. All the apparel and the artwork and yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I think you would really dig her work. She shares during the interview, um, one of her proudest accomplishments was painting airplanes. Oh, really? That's interesting. I'll hook you up yeah. and um, get you her Instagram handle. I think you would really love her artwork. Oh, I think I found her on my, I'm looking on my Instagram here. I think I found her. Yeah, I, I definitely would like that. And that's, I mean, it all ties together, right? Like, Again, that's the idea of tattooing and, and mechanics and and really all of it. It's kind of interesting, the, the little snippet of history. So tattooing really came to America during, during wartime because it was something that the sailors were into. And when those guys came back from like World War II, for example, many of them came back with tattoos that they had gotten overseas by artists who were sailors or who traveled around with following the Navy and doing tattoos. And when they came back, many of them did things like investing money in cool cars, cool motorcycles and houses. Like that's where they put their money. So like around Detroit, you see very cookie cutter little houses. They're almost all of them were built after the war for soldiers returning. And a lot of the motorcycle clubs, like I grew up, my dad was in the booze fighters. Um, They were established in 1943, I believe 1942, something like that. Right after the war, many of them were guys coming back from the war, buying cool, you know, knuckleheads, panheads, whatever they could get their mitts on at the time, and um, old Indians and starting motorcycle clubs. The Hells Angels, the, you know, the Outlaws, all these guys, if you look back at their club history, many of those old clubs were started in that time. Same thing goes for cars. Um, A lot of the street racing that was happening in the 50s, these are guys that were coming back from war and buying cool cars. Or even buying cars that then their teenage sons in the late 50s were modifying to make cool and drive them. You know, so it all just like it ties together. And so with that, tattooing came back after the war to the States and became a back alley thing in cities like Chicago and San Francisco and more to the the East Coast than West Coast. But but, you know, those those port cities, places like. Uh, you know, Jacksonville, North Carolina has a massive tattoo history based on those guys coming back from the war or being stationed there during the war. So it's interesting when you say back alley, right? It, like taboo. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. could you imagine in the 50s and 40s walking around with tattoos? No. I mean, just for people who've never seen me, particularly women, 80% of my body is covered in tattoos. And and that's unheard of, even in today's standards. But back then, I can't even fathom walking the streets and, and what people would say about me. Wow. 
That's fascinating. It really does come down to finding the right tattoo artist. Because like I was saying, I, I never had that urge to get another one, but I literally got two to cover up a different tattoo on my ankles. And she far exceeded my, like I had a, I had an idea of what I wanted and she took that idea and just took it to a whole nother level where I was just blown away. That's what a good artist can do. Where I literally last week was back there for a consult, figuring out the concept of the next one where I'm going to get my first arm piece. That's pretty big. Yeah. It's like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. It really is that connection with your artist and like that collaboration. Yeah. And, you know, to be able to tell your story too, like there's not a lot of other ways that we can find to express uh, and tell the story of who we are, what we're into, where we've been. Not all tattoos have to have meanings, but it's kind of interesting how even the ones that have, you know, for example, in our shop, we have a gumball machine. It's like a get what you get. Whatever comes out, it's what you get put on you. And um, it's super fun. They're all very tiny. Oh, wow. it's, kind of, it's kind of for, you know, not for the faint of heart, I suppose. But it's, uh, they're very traditional designs. So they're, they're, you know, they're like timeless. It's like roses and, you know, daggers and things. And, and these designs, you might be like, yeah, it has no meaning to me to get this rose tattooed on me. But I promise you, 20 years from now, you're going to say, oh, that rose, I got that from a gumball machine at this tattoo shop. And, oh, I was, I happened to be out with my friend that weekend and we were celebrating his 25th birthday and, you know, yeah, yeah. And they was, bet me exactly, your story, <laughs> to you do it. That for this many years, there's always that story behind it, even if it's something that has zero meaning. So you know, it's, it still tells your story. It's, it doesn't have to be like a literal, we tell everybody all the time, don't make this literal. It doesn't have to be a storybook, literal book, you know, make it a picture, make it something that's outside of the box. And it tells, it's telling with photos or with pictures, your life story. And that's so much more important and, and so much more interesting visually than, you know, some people get these tattoos that are like long novels written out and you're like, it's not interesting. I'll read it once and get it. I want to look at a picture. Yeah. Well, then it leaves room for creativity and for people to connect. That's what I love about art, that when you look at it, without having words, it allows everyone to connect to it in their own way because they fill in the voids with their own life experiences. Absolutely. I think that's what makes art so amazing. I think that's what makes motorcycles and cars so amazing too, Trish, because it's it's art in its own way. It is art. You just took the words. I was waiting, basically waiting to say that. It's, you know, you look at the body lines on a car. You see when someone has has chopped something or they've changed, you know, the color of something or the, the kind of tank or bags that are on a motorcycle or on a car. I've seen, I've seen some really beautiful cars that are, look at the kind of the stuff that, you know, some of the big names out there are, are making. And, um, You'd be blown away. Look at what Teresa does to a, a, a car's paint job. Oh, it's body. insane. It's incredible. So, you know, look at what Gene Winfield does. And, you know, every year at, at Autorama in Detroit, he chops a car. And, like, I mean, like, chops and channels and, like, like completely takes a car from stock and cuts the roof off, cuts the rear end, like, changes the entire look of the vehicle in a weekend. 
and it's and artistically it's a whole different car and it has a whole different fluid line to it and the way that it moves and look what chip foose can do to a car yeah you know these are incredible incredible feats of art in my opinion i agree as well as mechanics and that's so cool that we can tie the two together it, it is it is. And I love how the motorcycle, automotive, and tattoo space allows people who, in maybe other aspects and topics, maybe they don't agree on, mm-hmm. but it, it allows us to find this common ground for us to talk about something and bring people together and find what we have in common rather than what the news does. And that focuses on everything that we disagree on. <laughs> percent agree with you. You know what I mean? And to me, that's magical. For those moments, for that car show, for that event, we get to talk and connect with all these people. And that's what amazes me about Sturgis. Since I started this podcast and talked to women like yourself, Trish, I never wanted to learn how to drive a motorcycle. Never. Once I started this podcast and I started listening to women... And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, you know, I only thought about crap. People are texting and there's these distractions. I just don't want to die. And, yeah, you know, the, that's all I focused on. And then after talking to and interviewing so many women that ride motorcycles, it was a whole other perspective where it's a spiritual thing. Yeah. Like completely different. And, and it just... Like the first one, I'm like, wow, that sounds really cool. Uh, Gavin Fax, I had an opportunity to interview her and to hear her story. And you hear her talk about riding uh, with Tribe Called Quest and going to Sturgis and all these stories. And there's um, a women's one that, God, what is it? Teresa told me about it. Do you happen to know what it is? Real Deal typically sets up at it once a year. maybe? Yes, yes. Yeah, I did that. I was on the panel of Biker Bells um, 2000, gosh, it's been a handful of years now. I haven't been to Sturgis the last three or four years. Um, But when I worked for Baker Drivetrain, I did Biker Bells, and it was a really awesome panel. Like Women like Chris Summer Simmons, who she also does a podcast with Michael Lichter, the photographer, through CycleSource, and... She does like the cannonball runs she'll do on like her 1920 Harley from coast to coast, you know, just an incredible lady. Yeah. Biker Bells is awesome. It's a big ride. It's super fun. Yeah. It's this camaraderie, this sisterhood that's there where I'm like, oh my God, like I want to be a part of that. Like I want to experience that. Like it is just, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life being a part of this community and there's even like sub communities, uh, and motorcycles is one of them. So I'm actually studying to get my motorcycle endorsement. Oh, I love that. Um, but we'll we'll see. So here's one question that I've been dying to kind of ask out of pure curiosity, and then after this question, we'll launch into the red line round. Okay. But my question for you, and this is kind of for Donnie as well, because you guys are, are business partners. What is your vision? around throttle gals. Yeah. You know, coming out of this last year is, is a struggle. Um, we had our first car show this summer and it's the one that I organize in Plymouth, which is a little suburb of Detroit where I have my shop. Um, and so without having shows, we haven't been able to meet a lot of women and take pictures and 
do stories. So really right now, our big focus is getting back to super good regular circulation, increasing our subscription numbers again, um, and getting awesome chicks to put in the magazine. I personally am aiming for as many more motorcycle riding women as we can get. It's always been kind of a big mission of mine. We've definitely, uh, I've got some feelers out for some cool things. Like for example, uh, I just went to the air show here this weekend and I don't know if you knew this, but the Thunderbirds, like the the, the fighter jet, they, they fly the, the F-18s. Is it um, the commander or the lead's a female, right? Female. She is. And she's incredible. So, yeah. you know, just put feelers out to, to them to see if I could do an interview with her. I saw a little, uh, actually, I, th- I think it was on Kelly Clarkson. Okay. Her show. Okay. I can't remember her name. Do you recall her name? Mace Curran is the pilot. For some reason, I want to think that she was on that show. And there was a little girl who like idolizes her. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, her whole team, which is cool. They each each of the jets that are working together to fly in those formations have people on the ground who are directing them and helping them see what to do. Her team, it's like a team of several people, are all women, which is incredible. Wow. Yeah, it's just so cool. So it's like these are the way behind the scenes people would never know, you know, and you're standing there at the air show watching them move and and all the guys around you, all the old men are like, oh, look at him go. You're like, look at her go. Check this out, you know. So so really with that, I want to like just try to get as many really cool features as we can in Throttle Gals this year. We also had uh, our very first issue ever. You know, some of the people that we featured in that, we're trying hard to get them back into like a 10th anniversary issue. So that's in the works. Um, but really, you know, on the horizon, our immediate goals are just that. Get ourselves picked up back up by the bootstraps and back on track. Um, And then in the long term, I would love to see Throttle Gals big enough to where we're back to, you know, putting out a magazine every month instead of every other month. And we're able to do maybe have a little better team of people. I'd love to pay people eventually for what they contribute. There's an awful lot of heart that goes into Throttle Gals and on a very low budget. You know, so so I would love to see functions where women come together um, as well. You know, I know you and I had talked about some ideas there. And I think there's something really important about, I think women are really uh, stunted in the show side of things and gathering. Things like uh, you go to a car show and generally you walk up, you're like, wow, I see, I see this woman sitting next to a car. And you're like, man, your car is beautiful. Tell me about it. And she's like, oh, well, you know, my husband built it. Like, I don't. I don't care. Do you drive it? Is it your car? Tell me about your car. I don't care what he says. <laughs> Tell me about what you're doing. Um, and, and so we, I, I want to get away from being timid and being afraid of asking questions, being afraid of being in the garage and just furthering that education. You know, I, I just had this, um, I'm kind of rambling here, but I just, I just had this example. Um, one of the piercers in my tattoo studio, she bought a used Subaru and needed some work. And um, it's wild to me the way the mechanic spoke to her. She had him on speakerphone. I'm like, don't let him talk to you like that. Tell him, you know, what's what's up. You know, obviously it's it's not getting spark. Why is it not getting spark? It's a spark plug or coil issue. Don't, don't let him think that you're dumb. You know what's going on, you know? And so it's wild to me how, as women, we're so pushed back into the, the background when it comes to vehicles. Um, we're not given the recognition that we truly deserve. Women make amazing drag racers, really good race car drivers. We have incredible, quick, 
attentive, you know, flash reaction speeds. And, and we aren't given the right spotlight for what we're, we're doing in any of these industries. So I really hope that we can do that. Well, I think you guys are doing that. I think, you know, we, we've talked about this. It's about scaling and really just figuring out how to get more people to know that we're here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's the challenge of entrepreneurship and small business and bootstrapping. <laughs> it's We get into this because of the passion and love that we have in the topic. And what I've found out is that I need to be an equally as passionate about marketing. Yeah. Because my vision, our vision, our dream of what this could be relies on our ability to market and for people to just find us. Yeah. Isn't that frustrating? It's so frustrating. When you know what you're putting out is good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it just comes down for people to find you. Exactly. (laughs) Just, Just know we're there. Yeah. You and I talked about this when we were chatting last time about the idea of how many big companies have women behind the scenes running things. Oh, yeah. And um, and it's just crazy once you start realizing that, you know, almost for me personally in the motorcycle aftermarket, I worked for Baker Drivetrain for 11 and a half years. And it was great times. Don't don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, there's always like a man who's the face and maybe it was his brainchild. Maybe it was his baby. He's the first one who came up with the idea of the product that you're selling. But I can tell you almost every single aftermarket company, I can tell you which women are behind the scenes running the show or helping run the show. It might be a partnership kind of thing, but there is a woman involved who's not getting the spotlight, who is working tirelessly. I watched it at Baker. Burt Baker is an amazing guy. He's really brilliant. I, we always laugh and say he's a mad scientist. He's developed the first motorcycle six speed and, and the first seven speed. And he, you know, he made these really cool things for the, the drivetrain. But his wife, Lisa, is phenomenal. And she's given me a ton of mentorship when it comes to business. I've watched how she does things and, and applied it to my tattoo shop. She's the glue. She's the glue. And she's the one who's running HR, making sure things are being produced correctly and overseeing, you know, all these different departments and, and kind of while he's, he's out there, you know, being Bert and coming up with these ideas and engineering them, she's doing the rest. And, um, I admire it. I think there's probably that person in every company that deserves the pat on the back, you know? I couldn't agree with you more. I will say this. I will help in any way that I can. And maybe what we do is collaborate and get an ad recorded for Throttle Gals that we can incorporate into each of the Femcanic Garage episodes just to build awareness. Yeah. Marketing is about repetition. And that's the beautiful thing about podcasts is that they're evergreen. Yeah. Once they're out there, someone may listen to it three years later. Yeah. It's a really cool platform. And one that I, I've only ever done um, one other interview like this, and it was actually on Chris Summer Simmons' show, and her show's called Coast to Coast. You should check it out. And I, I think this is where, you know, all the way back full circle to when we first started talking tonight, we talked about the idea of uplifting each other and, and working together and, and also finding your people. And I think that that's the thing, like as women in motorsports, we have each other. 
And we shouldn't let the world pit us against each other because it's our job to uplift each other and push each other out there like we talked about. And and this is exactly how. Like for me to push Femcanic Garage on Throttle Gals takes a blip of a second of time. And it's so important because it might get those couple followers for you or that one advertiser or whatever it is who pushes you into a, a new space or gets you into the ears of someone who hasn't heard you before and vice versa. Yeah. And Trish, it's cool that you bring that up because I've been doing this two and a half years now. It's crazy that I've been doing this podcast two and a half years now. Interviewed over a hundred women, have networked with more than that and just listened, just asked questions and listened. And I started to find themes. What I have found and what has become very clear to me is that the the greatest gift that I can give back to this industry is creating training materials to educate women around money. Sounds crazy, right? No. But let me bring it full circle. I don't think money makes the world go round. I don't think money brings you happiness. No. But what I really want to do is create something that is very profitable so that I can turn around and give that one. We need more women sitting across the table from entrepreneurs. Yes. What I mean by that is whenever we want to start a business as women, whenever we want to pay raise as a woman, the majority of the time we sit down at that table and across the table is a man deciding that fate for us. Yep. 100% true. And when we want to zero in on solving a problem that is unique to a woman, it's hard for men to understand it. They may do their best to be understanding, but they're never going to know what it's like to feel like they have to walk away from their career because they want to have a child. Yeah, They're never going to know what that's like because their wife can be pregnant, give birth on Saturday, and he can go back to work on Monday. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that's the stuff that I'm talking about where the greatest gift I feel I can give women now, and that's the direction that Femcanic Garage is going. It's actually Femcanic Tools. It's it's a sister company that I started. Is creating this content and information for women to help them take their financials to the next level so that they can start to figure out and build their empire financially so they aren't in the position constantly that women put themselves in the position to be able to be in their version of Shark Tank. Yeah. Right? Yep. But women aren't having to go into these boardrooms and these loan offices and their boss's office and ask for a pay raise. And it always be a man. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. You know, um, tattooing is a really male dominated industry. And, um, you know, when I first started in mid Michigan, Lansing specifically was the town I learned in and, uh, our capital city, there were probably somewhere in the realm of, I'd say eight to 10 tattoo shops. I can name, uh, one shop owner who is female out of those. She didn't tattoo and three female tattooers, including myself out of all those. It has grown. There's about 30 shops now and, and almost every shop has a female artist. Still only one female owner, the same one I talked about. Um, so when I left the shop that I was at, um, I was let go from there. And 
I uh, I was like, you know what? I could go work for another another guy. There's a plenty of shops out here. I could go pick one and, and say, hey, here's my portfolio. Give me a job. And I didn't. Instead, I opened my own. And it was really scary. and It was not easy to do financially, um, which is why I worked at Baker for so many years during the day. And then I would go tattoo at night. And it was hard to juggle both. And I did do that decision making where I was like, okay, I'm going to put aside getting married. I'm going to put aside having children. I'm going to put aside owning a really nice car, or nicer house. I'm going to deal with the, the things I have because I really want to grow this business. And now I'm really glad I did because um, it's it's like a whole different kind of space. It's not your typical male biker owned tattoo shop. Our shop is super inclusive and it's beautiful and it's large. And I now have eight artists who work there and two piercers and you know what I mean? It's just like, it's grown to this really awesome thing that I'm super proud of, you know, you go on girl, but it's not easy to do. And it did take me having to say, I'm not going to sit down and beg for a man for a job. And, and I'm not trying to man bash. Don't get me wrong. No, no, this isn't about man bash yeah. at all. And hopefully the listeners don't pick that up, but it just would be nice to be able to simply sit across the table from another woman. Yeah. Because there's just some things that only a woman can really understand. Absolutely. And, you know, like even in some of the other stuff that we do, you know, you mentioned the idea of femcanic tools. It made me think about tools as an example, like the actual tools that we hold in our hands and, and how we've taught some classes for women in, you know, motorcycle maintenance or car maintenance. And they don't know the names of the tools. They don't know what the parts are. They've been riding a motorcycle or driving a car for years. They don't know what the parts are. And and that's just because they've never been brought in under someone's wing and exposed to that stuff. And we want to change that. And we also want to say, hey, it's okay to not know those things. It's okay to not not know the names and ask questions. What woman is going to feel comfortable going into a class full of men? Not happening. And actually feeling comfortable to ask questions. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because you know why? It's still to this day, Donnie and I will go to car shows or be hanging out around a bunch of male mechanics. And for the most part, we surround ourselves with really good guys. But there's always a couple who are like, well, what are you doing here? Making jokes about getting in the kitchen and making sandwiches. Or don't you have a baby to take care of? You know, things like that. And it's even in 2021, that doesn't always die. There's still that brain out there. And until that does die, until it, it goes away that... We are never going to be seen as equal, and we need to be. That is so well put. I'm selfishly kind of curious how you're going to answer these questions. So (laughs) if you're up for it, I want to launch into the red line round, and it's just five rapid-fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. It's just whatever pops into your head first, the right answer. Yeah. You ready? Shoot. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, um, I don't know that I have a specific one person. Instantly, my brain flooded with women, women who came to mind who who have done incredible things in this industry. But it's funny. um, My great-grandma rode a motorcycle early on. Like drive it? Yeah. Like she had a, she had an old Indian and um, it was before. Do you still have it? No, I, God, I wish. She sold it before I was born, but there's like pictures floating around, you know, and the family talks about it. And then my mom rode. And, and so for me coming up, it wasn't ever a question. So it kind of sounds funny 
to say that like the one person who inspired me wouldn't be a woman, but I would almost say like, you know, it would be maybe that idea, but I almost want to say my dad because my dad never stunted that in me. He never said, nah, you can't get dirty. Get out of here. You can't have a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Instead, he was like, oh, you're all done with your little Honda and you want a new bike? brought me the parts and said, build this, put it together, kickstart it when it goes. Awesome. And that was my, my iron head, my Hellcat I built with my dad. So from an early age, I guess maybe my parents both, but you know, it was never questioned. Like you want to do this? Cool. Do it. Get in there. Get dirty. Do it. That's awesome. And what's dad's name? Doug. 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 Okay. Doug yep. Way to go, Doug. What's mom's name? Vicky. Vicky. And I think you mentioned before they were in a band, right? My dad was, yeah, he played guitar in Dead Engine, which is a was a heavy metal band in the 80s. That's I had the awesome. most wild childhood, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, mom and dad, you knocked it out of the park. You have an amazing, amazing daughter. You're so sweet. Thank you, friend. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? Sure. You know what? Every vehicle you own, get the owner's manual. Um, that's the first thing that you should do. However, YouTube is full of incredible, helpful tutorials. It might take watching five of them before you find the right one, but they mm-hmm. are out there. And there's a lot of people with a lot of stuff to teach and it's all free. So yeah. uh, YouTube is my go-to every time. Nice. What excites you most about what you do, Trish? This right here, by far. Connecting with someone to the point where like, Like, this is the second time you and I have had one of these kind of talks, and I don't think the smile has left my face. And (laughs) I I leave our discussions with, like, oh, my cheeks, you know? Yeah. I I just, it's that connection with someone. I felt it with Donnie instantly. And to this day, she and I, we don't see each other as often as we would like. We live about an hour apart. But when we do hang out, it's it's the same kind of thing. And it's, it's like picking up right where you left off. It is. And it's like that instant um, connection. And, and I honestly feel this so much when I meet other women who are into cars and bikes and mechanical things or even tattoos. Um, yeah. You know, just that idea of connecting on the same level. It, it's It's so inspiring and it's so wonderful. It's what keeps me doing it. I hear you. I totally get that. So this next one always fascinates me. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit. Um, So I learned years ago, a very good friend of mine named Delton, he taught me about PMA, which is positive mental attitude. And you know, right now you hear a lot of stuff out there about like toxic positivity. That's not that. It's not, the, it's not the same thing. It's the idea of life sometimes deals you a bad hand and it sucks and that's real, but it's how you pull yourself out of it that counts. And so it kind of taught me how to like stop, assess situations and, and walk away with a whole different attitude about it, a whole different perspective. Um, he always used this funny example where he would say, you know, PMA isn't all rainbows and kittens, you know, like you're going to get a flat tire on your car. So let's say you get that flat tire. How do you deal with it? Do you deal with it in a negative way or a positive way? In a negative way, you would like, you know, call your boss and say, I quit. 
smash the windows out, pop the other three tires, and, you know, throw yourself in front of a tractor trailer. Positive side would be call your boss, say, hey, I'm going to be 20 minutes late. Get out the spare, change your tire, go to work. You know, it's it sucks. You still have a flat tire you have to deal with, but it's all in how you handle it. And um, and I've definitely reapproached a lot of things in my life from a positive attitude, and it's changed everything. So, you know, it picks me up when I'm feeling down. I love it. Finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? Don't take no for an answer. Know that you're allowed to be there just as much as the boys are. There's no rules that whatever your, you know, your gender is or your your parts are, there's no reason that you can't be right there. Your parts. I like it. <laughs> you can't be right there doing your bits. the same damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're we're all allowed to be part of this. We're all allowed to have the same interests. And you having that interest doesn't mean that they get to sexualize you. It doesn't mean that you aren't as intelligent. Even if you don't know the names of the parts or the names of the tools, it doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It means you just haven't learned them yet. If someone teaches you, then you'll know, just like someone taught them one day. That's right. Don't give up. Just don't take no for an answer. If you really love it, just do it. So well said, Trish. How and where can people connect with you and Throttle Gals? Yeah, so... And your tattoo shop, if you happen to be traveling through yeah, Michigan. Come on up. Yeah, we're, we're just outside of Detroit in Plymouth. Um, let's see here. My tattoo shop is named My Little Needle Tattoos. It's named after an Elkline Trio song. So if you're a punk rock fan, you'll get it. And uh, we have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. Um, same with Throttle Gals, uh, at Throttle Gals on Instagram. We like to post an awful lot when we're doing events or, you know, what we're working on. Oftentimes we'll post, you'll see myself and Donnie, but also some of the other people, you know, Tara, who lives up north. Um, she does some really fun stuff. She's a great photographer. Jenny, who's got a couple really neat old cars. Uh, Carrie, who's super into like Jeeps and mudding, you know, and and so on and so forth. We've got um, Allie, who just joined the team and she does, uh, she's an engineer. So she, she kind of gets down and dirty into the, how things work. Um, and we've had quite a few of her articles in the last couple of magazines. So you'll see, you'll see stuff from everybody on our social media. And then on there, there's links to our website where you can order the magazine. Right now we aren't on a specific distribution as far as timing goes, but if you pay for six issues, you're going to get six issues. They just might not be every other month. It might be every, you know, three months. Just depends on content. Like I said, we're struggling right now. So I would say if you're out there listening and you've got a cool ride that you'd love to share, hit us up. Even from a distance, we can do a story. And and we really would like some content right now from some really neat people who want to share, you know. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. Trish, thank you so much for being on the Femcanic Rod show and just sharing your story. Thanks for having me. It means a lot that you even reached out and thought about me. Absolutely. Keep doing what you guys are doing. I know it's not easy and it takes more effort than what people even think it takes. I haven't done print. I do my podcast, but it's a lot more work than what people think. It'd be a lot easier if I just went live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. edit and do any of that stuff, but that's that's not what I do. But just know that we really appreciate what you and Donnie are doing with that and helping take 
women to that next level and producing such a quality product. Likewise, thank you. I think we're all in it together and I'm so excited for our newfound friendship. Absolutely. Ditto. You reached out and I, I had no clue who you were, I'll be honest. And then after doing some research and, and then sitting and chatting with you, I know that there's good things to come. For sure. And it's nice that we're in each other's backyards. No, that's so cool. We have to get together soon. Absolutely. Especially if we can get on two wheels. Oh my gosh. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> God, I, it, it, I get butterflies even thinking about it. Oh, it's so fun. My name is Trish Horseman. I'm the other head chicken charge at Throttle Gals Magazine, and I'm a femcanic. Nishrat Ahmed is in the driver's seat next. Nishrat was recently accepted into the NASCAR Tech program in North Carolina. She is currently pursuing her degree with the dream of becoming a race engineer. She started her automotive journey her junior year of high school. Nishrat shares her experiences as a young woman of color in her culture pursuing a career in automotive and racing. Be sure to tune in next week for this powerful interview. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, And most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?